Well, everyone, we're so good to be able, we're so good, it doesn't even make sense. It's so good to be able to see you all here, to celebrate you, to thank you for joining us either online or here in person. Um, we're continuing our, closing our series rather, uh, called Some Assembly Required. And, you know, as I start off today, um, I want to have a quick, quick show of hands. How many of you own a dog? All right, wonderful. How many of you, this is a no judgment zone, right? It's okay. How many of you uh, see your, your dog as like, your chi- like a child? Like they're just so close. That's, yeah, so you can raise your hand loud and proud. That's, that's wonderful. Um, I asked that because uh, we recently got a dog uh, named Ember. Uh, and I was, you know, we're really excited about him in general. But I was also uh, specifically excited about him because, I, as you can hear, I keep saying him and for far too long, I have been greatly outnumbered in my household uh, from female to male ratio. And so I felt like, okay, at least getting a male dog will help, like, even out. Not quite, but at least we're a little bit closer. And, you know, our, we, we love him. He's starting to get past that phase where, like, he's just another life that I'm in charge of, right? Like, it's like he's playful and he still likes to bite into your soul and that's great but um he's just I know ouch exactly and so you know we love him and he's great but like uh when when Steph and I talk to our girls we'll say things like you know I'll say hey did you hear mommy asked you to do that or um can you help mommy with this and she'll say you know uh can you tell daddy to stop doing that no I'm just kidding um but this idea we refer to one another as mom and dad right and so uh I know Steph has at times been like said talking to Ember, to our dog, and been like, oh, daddy's leaving or daddy's doing that. And I'm like, but, like, he's not, like, my son, right? Like, he's, he's a male figure, and we bond over that. And the girl's like, he stinks. I'm like, he smells great. He's a dude. You know, like, I'm just trying to encourage him in his uh, male walkingness. And so just recognizing that, but he's not, but, like, I, in regards to, like, do I love him? Yes. Is he going to, like, pass on the Chafaris name in moving forward? No, right? Like, is he going to um, receive property by the end? You know, like, are we signing him into the will? No. Like, so he's, he's it's close to us. Like, we love him. But he's not like a full-fledged son in the same way that we would use the term of son and daughter and child uh, in our family relationships. And I know that's, that's an example. But today our sermon is called Becoming the Son. And last week we took some time looking into what it's like to become the bride, to recognize that Jesus as our groom loves us so much, the same way that a groom loves his bride, that the bride is the beloved, and we, male and female, need to learn what it's like to be the beloved of God. And today, as we go into Numbers 27 and a little bit in Galatians 4, we're going to unpack what it looks like for us becoming the son and understanding what it means to receive the inheritance and the identity that comes from being a son. Because it's hard for guys to maybe understand what it means to become the bride, and it can be hard for women sometimes to understand the specific um, the specific idea of sonship in the Bible. So we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. Um, and as we do, before we do, I'm going to ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to prepare our hearts um, and our minds for what God has for us this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that we are the beloved, um, not because of what we've done or how we've earned it, Lord, but because, Jesus, what you have done for us and that you willingly gave up so that we may receive. Lord, I pray that as we unpack 
and dive into your word today. I pray that I would decrease, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us, whether we're here in person or here as in online. God, may anyone who hears my voice today or later in the week when they're listening, may they know they are prayed for, cared for, and loved, and that you, um, you have something for them here today. So may we receive it. May we hear it. May we live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Numbers chapter 27, and uh, the screen will have some of the verses. won't have the entire passage. You can follow along in the Bible app. You can follow along with the Bible, uh, one that you brought or in the seat in front of you. And as we're doing that, uh, what I want to do is I want to start off from the very beginning um, talking about uh, the idea of inheritance, talking about um, what it looks like in the Old Testament, what sonship meant. So in the Old Testament, sonship meant posterity and meant property. So when you talk about inheritance and, and, and unpacking that idea, it, it focuses primarily on those two things. Now, you may be wondering, why are we connecting sonship and inheritance so closely together? And that's because um, in many cultures still, but in many cultures and including uh, what we see in the Bible, that the sons were the ones that were, would receive an inheritance from their father's land. That it was passed down through the male line. And it was specifically if you were the firstborn son, you would receive a double portion in comparison to, you, to, the other, to your other brothers. And so uh, Deuteronomy 21 talks about how there's this idea of the firstborn should get the double portion. The firstborn would get twice as much as anyone else. And, and this is the idea of uh, primogeniture. So primo, which is first. Geniture, the idea of like um, passing on like through your genes. So it's the firstborn would receive the, the most of the inheritance. And, and it specifically played itself out, again, in the two ways of posterity and property. Now, I was doing uh, the math a little bit because when I was thinking about inheritance and firstborn sons and, and younger sons, it reminded me of uh, a passage that many of us may be familiar with, with the prodigal son in, the, in Luke 15. And it's a beautiful story. If you've not read it or haven't read it in a while, I encourage you to do so. But what I want to specifically bring up is I did, uh, I did something I hadn't done in approaching this passage before, um, which was do math, which is not, you know, my favorite. But what I figured out or what I did with the math is that the firstborn son, the elder son that we learn about, he would have been receiving the double portion of his father's inheritance. So he receives 66.6 repeating percent of the father's proportion or um, inheritance, excuse me. And then the younger son would get 33.3 percent repeating, one-third. So two-thirds and one-third. And so when the younger son goes to his father and says, I want my share of the inheritance, he's saying, I want 33% of what's yours. And, and he should only be receiving it once the father was dead. So this was not just um, a financial hit to the father. This was a slap in the face as a relational hit to the father as well, saying, I wish you were dead and just give me what's owed to me now. He goes off, he takes the third, and he squanders it on wild living. And, and he, he finds himself unable to eat, working in the pig's pen, realizing they have more food than he does, decides, I'm going to go back to my father and ask just to be a hired hand. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Let me be a hired hand and just have at least some meals to eat. 
And as he goes, the father sees him from afar and runs after him. And he welcomes him in and he, he puts a, a ring on his finger to show that, you know, he's part of the family. He puts a shoe, a sandal on his feet to make sure it's clear he's not a slave. And he, he puts his clothing around him and to showing that, again, he's back in the inheritance. And we know this story. Many of us know this already. But it's just so interesting as I started thinking about now, out of what the father had originally, one third is already gone. So there's only two thirds left. And now that the younger son is back into the inheritance, he's going to get one-third of that remaining number. So now he's getting, out of 66%, he's getting 22% of it. So you take that 22 plus the 33, I told you there'd be math. If you add that together, that's 55%. And in the end, the younger son gets a greater inheritance, gets more than the older one, which would have just been so contrary and so um, difficult for the older son. And so... We know he's upset. We get that the older son misses the point because he's like, I've worked all this time for you, and I haven't even been able to have a, a young goat for me and my friends to celebrate. And the father's like, everything I've had is yours. Come and join the party. And we get left hanging to know, not know whether he does because in that passage, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who were like the older son. It didn't feel right that the younger son got more. Didn't feel right that the younger son got a greater inheritance. And so that's just an example of pointing out how big and how important inheritance and the firstborn primogeniture idea was in the ancient Israel. And I bring all that up because I gave examples of double portion for the firstborn and then the, the other sons would get what's left over and all those different things. But what happens when there's no sons? How, how is it that daughters, the daughters just wouldn't receive an inheritance if their dad didn't have any sons. And this felt deeply unfair. And so we want to unpack how, what is it for, what is it like for these five daughters? What is it like for women today and even men still? But how, what is it like for us to understand sonship as meaning inheritance, as meaning as meaning so much more than being a child, but being a son who receives the inheritance given by the Father, who is a co-heir with Christ. So we see this in the beginning in Numbers 27. We're going to start reading in verse 1, uh, 1 through 4. And only verse 4 is on the screen. So uh, just listen to verse, the first few verses, and then we'll put the verse 4 on when it's real time. Zelophehad is his name. So the daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of the daughters were Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Terzah. They came forward and stood before Moses, Eleazar, the priest, the leaders, and the whole assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting and said, our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Verse 4. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan? Because he had no son. Give us property among our father's relatives. And we'll stop there because as we mentioned earlier, in the Old Testament, sonship meant posterity, and property. So this one focuses on posterity, on the future generations and the future of the clan's name. So it's saying, why would our father's name, as we highlighted that one, why, why should his name disappear in the annals of history because he didn't have a son? 
Why, why should it be that no son equals no inheritance? That there's a book that um, the girls have about women in the Bible, and, and it talks about these five brave daughters, these five brave sisters who go in front of Moses, the leader, the priest, Eleazar, all of the leaders of the, the nation of Israel, and the entire assembly in front of a tent of meeting, and the boldness and bravery it takes, or would have taken for them to go and say, this isn't fair, this isn't right. And whereas it would have been really easy in that society, had God not intervened, it would have been really easy to say, well, I'm sorry, because sadly, throughout the time of history, and even today in some places in the world, women are viewed as less than. Or in some cases, they're viewed as property. So they, in this case, why would they be asking for property? And yet God, as we see here, does not allow that idea of women being less than to stay prevalent. In fact, here's what he says. Verse 5. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to him, what Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives. And give their father's inheritance to them. Give their father's inheritance to them. See, the first section was about posterity, about future, about the father's name. In fact, looking in verse 1, we see how important it is to be the son because that was how he was identified. Zelophehad, son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. So sonship showed your posterity, it showed your history, and allowed you to put your place in the ancestry and in the posterity moving forward. It was vital to how you were identified. And then coupling that with this idea of property, of recognizing that they needed, that they, the, the daughters were privy and had a right to the property of their father's inheritance. They, they, were, they should have, and God said they would receive that property. Now, they had to marry someone within the clan of Manasseh, so it stayed within the clan and the family name. But his name, now, how many, how many men throughout history, we don't know their names. Yet, because of the boldness of these five women, Zelophehad's name is a name we still learn about today. It's not just that his name, his name didn't go and fall to the wayside in the annals of history. We, we specifically know about his inheritance because of the bravery of the women in his life, because of his daughters. So the Old Testament primarily focuses on posterity and property. Why is po property so important? I mean, we know property is important because of the financial gain you get when you sell a property or when you're able to receive money from a purchase of land. But land meant something a little bit more deep to the Israelites because what land would mean was a signal that they were part of the, 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 the blessing and the promise, the covenant that Abraham and God had, that there would be a promised land, there would be a certain piece of land that would be set aside for God's people. And so the five sisters didn't want their dad and his family line to miss out on that, to recognize that they would be outside of that blessing. So they said, give us property, give us land. And the last few verses of uh, verses 9 through 11, they, they unpack, okay, if there's no son, give it to the daughters. If there's no daughters, give it to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give it to his father's brother. Like it's, it's, this is how important it is that property is part of the inheritance. 
So why, why are we all unpacking this? Because we might still think of, or it might be easy for us to think of, in our inheritance, the way that the older and younger son did in Luke 15, that it's something that we get when someone dies. Or, or we might think of it as property, or, or we're passing on the name. But that's not all, and that's not the most um, important idea of inheritance. See, I found out uh, this past, uh, last night we had, uh, my mom, as many of you know, moved into Escondido, um, into a great facility, a senior community there, um, and my brother is visiting, and so my brother, our family, my mom, we had pizza outside, and uh, my brother had been doing some, um, uh, like, 23andMe, like, ancestry stuff, and was looking into some of our history and found out about, um, or I've shared with you that my great-grandpa, that was my mom's paternal grandpa, got to figure this out, uh, he's the one that founded the San Diego Zoo, and no, I can't get you in for free, um, and my great-grandfather, that was my mom's maternal grandfather, I think I got that right, uh, he was named Joseph Gwynn, and he started, or, or he helped um, create an air company that built a, what they called the Gwynn Air Car. And the desire for that was to um, have personal passenger airplanes be as prevalent as cars on the road. And this was in 1937, and he created a, a plane, or they designed a plane that was supposed to be so easy to fly that it would make transportation uh, via the air, just as prevalent, just as common as cars on the road, which as someone who lived in L.A. County with the traffic there, I'm like, amen and amen. Like, let's just be able to fly over that madness, right? So recognizing that this was the desire, and it turned out that uh, he ended up um, having one of the early models of a uh, tricycle configuration of the wheels, I think I got that right. Um, tricycle configuration of the wheels uh, rather than tail draggers in order to say how it was designed was so unique. And that, that tricycle uh, undercarriage is something that he's not the one who invented it, but he's one of the early models. And that's something that still gets used nowadays. Now, all that to say, the plane ended up crashing uh, and the business closed down. And it stopped. Because obviously we're not flying in Gwyn air cars all the time. But here's what my brother mentioned that was interesting. It's, it's really fat. We didn't know a lot of growing up. We didn't know a lot of these stories of our family. But what he shared was, you know, between my great-grandfather who founded the San Diego Zoo and my great-grandfather who, you know, built planes and helped people fly, um, that our family had was, would have been very wealthy in the mid-30s or so. And if we only thought of inheritance as property and posterity, well, then he and I and, and our future generation, we, we missed out on receiving the inheritance of the property or posterity because when my dad, who was uh, Chamorro, so he's from Guam, um, Pacific Islander, he's not white, and he's not as wealthy as that side of the family was, when he and my mom got married, they completely cut them off. And so never met my grandparents. They never wanted to meet me. They never wanted to uh, have any interaction with, with our family. And I mention it because if that was the only idea of 
inheritance that we had was just that it was money that you receive when someone dies or property that you receive, then there would be no inheritance of which, for which we could speak for our family moving forward. And that's what's beautiful about what Jesus did is that he, un, he gives us a new idea of what inheritance and sonship means. Sonship means we should be entitled to receive an inheritance, but in the Old Testament, it was primarily focused on posterity and property. And yet in the New Testament, the idea is that in the New Testament, sonship meant kinship in the kingdom. It wasn't about posterity and property on earth. It was about kinship in the, in the kingdom of heaven. It was something that would last beyond this world, that money will fade away, dreams and, and businesses will fall by the wayside, that things will not always work out here to have an earthly inheritance, yet because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his perfect life, his horrible death, and his life-giving resurrection, we have the opportunity to receive an inheritance that does not fade, that does not spoil, that never runs out, and never runs dry. And that's because we have the inheritance as sons and daughters, but receiving the spirit of sonship to acknowledge that we are able to be called children of God. We see this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. It'll be on the screen for you. Verse 4 says this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. See, all of us, whether we've come from a godly household or not, whether we have a legacy or lineage of faith or not, whether we had a lot of money growing up or not, whether there was peace within our home or not, whether our parents, our mothers, our fathers were loving or not, we are all invited to receive the gift of sonship through adoption into the kingdom of God, into being a kin, a co-heir with Christ. That Jesus, as the firstborn son, would have been given the double portion, and he had everything, and yet he willingly gave up the riches in heaven to come to the rags of a manger so that we may experience the richness of a relationship with him in eternity. And here on earth and in heaven. That we focus on, we've been received as adoption, as sonship, and we are no longer slaves, but we are co-heirs. We are ones who would receive an inheritance, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. Not because we earned it, but because Jesus had it and willingly gave up it for us. Not because we are perfect, but because he, is, because he is. Not because of anything on our own identity, but because we find our identity in him. That when we, just as Zalafi had, was defined by, his identity was defined by who he was a son of going back to Manasseh and Joseph. When we experience a relationship with God and when we experience kinship and being called heirs, of God's inheritance and co-heirs with Christ, we recognize that that now becomes our identity. 
the inheritance that all of us receive is our identity in Christ. When we surrender to him, we cry out, Abba, Father. We trust Jesus as Lord. We confess him. And then the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and changes how we live. So what I want to do is I want to I close with just one, one more verse, a verse that um, on Mother's Day that um, talks about showing honor to the women in our lives. And so 1 Peter 3, 7, and 1 Peter, Peter is t- talking to husbands and wives and families on how to live and how to live with one another. I'm going to read, this is from the NRSV, uh, the New Revised Standard Version, not the NIV. And so here's what it says. Husbands, in the same way, show consideration for your wives and your life together, paying honor to the women as the weaker sex, since they too are also heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. And I let's leave that up for a moment, because in our mind, in our perspective, looking at through our cultural lens, we look at, at least for me, you can look at the idea of woman as the weaker sex, and that that rubs us the wrong way, because I've been present for both times my wife gave birth, and I will never question the strength of women. I was just like, you know, it, it's one of those where, and women, that's an example, but maybe some of you never gave birth. Maybe some of you have adopted. Maybe some of you are mothers to people, though they're not physically related to you. I mean, you've mothered people, and so your strength is beautiful and powerful and comes from God. And so you hear the weaker sex, and it feels like it's, demean, it's demeaning. It feels like Peter's trying to say, okay, women, you stay here, and men, you're great. It would be, it, we would be remiss if we focused on that line. Is it there? Yeah. And that's partially because of the way women were viewed in the past. It's partially because, you know, some ideas might be that it's an actual, like, physically weaker rather than um, men. But if we get caught up on that, we miss the point of what Peter's saying. So we're going to look at that verse again, but we're going to highlight a couple of different portions. So let's do it one more time. And husbands in the same way, show consideration for your wives and your life together, paying honor to the woman in your life. Paying honor. Why? Because they too are also heirs of the gracious gift of life. That salvation is not only for men. Salvation and God's gifts and inheritance of sonship is not only for Guys, it's an invitation to all of us to understand what it means to be a son, to be one who is loved, and to be one who receives an inheritance as a co-heir. That this may have rubbed us the wrong way, and sometimes when we look at woman as the weaker sex, this passage or this verse would have rubbed people in Peter's day the wrong way because it was elevating the status of women to a place where they are just as equal heirs as men, and that was not what was normal in the culture. And we see that God does this when he elevates in Numbers 27. And he talks about how those five sisters get to have uh, property and posterity and inheritance. Jesus does this when he elevates the role of women in his ministry. That at the crucifixion, we see that it was the women who were with him while the disciples had fled. We see that it was women who were the very first witnesses to the resurrection. When Mary and Mary, they came and they looked and saw that, The tomb was open. They thought that someone had stolen the body. And the angel says, he is not here. He is risen. And Mary Magdalene is just in tears looking at the gardener and saying, you know, what have you done with him? Just tell me. And he says, Mary. And at the sound of her name, she realized it was her Lord. And then went back and shared the good news. See, 
throughout the story of God and God's word? Are there, are there things in the Bible that culturally are hard for us to understand? Absolutely. But notice that God, when he created woman, he didn't, come, he didn't create woman out of the foot of Adam in order to imply that he would lord over her and step over her as a doormat or as, as less than. He didn't take the bone out of, out of a shoulder, out of the head to, to show that the woman's supposed to be over the man. He took the rib in order to say, we are partners. Yes, husbands, your role is to be the head of the household. But that's not to demean the role of a wife or mother because when it says Eve was a helper, that word helper is the, same, the only other time it's being used in addition to referring to woman is referring to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. This is no demeaning term. This elevates a role. And so, women, you deserve honor and respect and love and that you would receive inheritance knowing that Jesus broke down barriers for women to come to have more value and hope and kinship as co-heirs with Christ where that was not something that would have been the norm. So as we close today, my hope is that as we talk about things like primogeniture, we talk about inheritance, we talk about, you know, kinship, my hope and my prayer is that all of us would be able to understand or, or to fully grasp what it means to be the beloved of God, to become a bride, someone who's beloved, doesn't have to earn it, but is loved, but also to become a son who receives the inheritance that is available to all who cry out to God as Abba, Father. As we close our series, Some Assembly Required, looking at building up families and looking at godly households, we didn't want it to just purely be role-based. How to be a godly child, how to be a godly spouse, how to be a godly parent. Those are wonderful sermons and, and wonderful things for us to discuss. And the Bible has a lot of great things to say about those dynamics. But the point was not to just be about the role. The point was for us to learn what does it mean to have our identity and our foundation in God. Because when our identity and our foundation is in God, when we are looking to Jesus, as Dan Lewis shared in the first week of the sermon, when we are looking to Jesus, then we will be changed by Jesus and our families will be changed by Jesus and others will see the impact Jesus can have and want that for their families as well. So there's, there's work needs to be done. There's some assembly required. But remembering that God is the foundation and God is the builder and that we get to receive the inheritance set aside for us when we cry out as Abba, as our father, as our, as our dad, as our God, that that inheritance is open to all. That there is no male or female. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no division amongst God's people because we are all co-heirs with Christ. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And God, I thank you for the spirit of sonship that is bestowed upon us, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but Lord, because Jesus, who was 
the, the firstborn who could have had all the portion of all your power, and he willingly laid down the riches of heaven to join, come into the rags of a manger so that we could experience the richness in a relationship with him here on earth and for all eternity in heaven. God, I pray that you would meet the women who are hearing my voice today. God, I know that there, this is a hard day for many. It's a day in which um, some, of, some women want to be moms and haven't been able to. Some are in the process of infertility treatments and they, don't, they carry that burden alone. Some are, have kids and it's not working out and there's, there's division there or there's enmity as they, kids get older and um, get upset and rebel. There are some who have adult children that, with which they're estranged. There are some who have adopted or want to adopt. There are some who are fostering and want to show their love and the impact um, children. There are some who don't have an official mother role, but they are mothering people and showing your love and pouring out with strength and beauty and love to those around them. There are grandmas and there are so many different elements and there's some who are mourning the loss of their mom today and there's some who are mourning the loss of a child today. And God, we recognize we want to pay honor to whom honor is due. So Lord, meet each woman here in this place today. Fill in the cracks of their heart with your love and fill in the broken pieces with your grace. And God, fill us up so men, women, moms, dads, wives, husbands would find their identity in you. Cry, upon, uh, cry out to you as Abba Father and know that now we can receive the inheritance of kinship in your kingdom, which is far beyond any property or posterity because it's for eternity with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.